0: Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed Conference. Head over to canmedevents.com now to learn all about our CanMed 2022 event, which will take place May 3rd through 5th at the Pasadena Convention Center in Pasadena, California. This three-day event begins with a full-day medical practicum led by Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, the practicum's originator, as well as Dr. Dustin Sulak, Dr. Kevin Spellman, and Eloise Thiessen. Each of the presenters will share the latest research as well as their clinical experience and practice guidelines related to cannabinoid therapeutics. A new section of this eight-hour course is dedicated to reviewing different types of extractions, products, and optimal dosing for cannabinoid therapeutics. After that, we have two full days of presentations and panel discussions covering the latest research in the cannabis science, medicine cultivation, and safety testing taking place May 4th and 5th. The full schedule is up at canmedevents.com. You'll notice that each of the CanMed focus areas are anchored by a keynote presenter. Dr. Ethan Russo for science, Seth Crawford for cultivation, Dr. Bonnie Goldstein for medicine, and Grace Bandong for safety testing. Each of our keynotes, as well as many of our presenters and panelists were guests on the podcast, and you can listen to all our previous episodes at canmedevents.com coffeetalk coffee talk. While you're at canmedevents.com, you can also watch video presentations and panel discussions from all of our previous CANMED events in our CANMED video archive. Presentations include CANMED 2022 keynotes Dr. Rousseau, Seth Crawford, and Dr. Goldstein, as well as Professor Raphael Mishulam, David Miri, Marcus Rogan, Zamir Punja, Stacey Gruber, and many, many more. As you can tell, we have a lot going on at canmedevents.com. And the best way to keep up with everything is to sign up for email alerts using the simple form in the page footer or on the pop-up form that you'll find at CanMetEvents.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Just look for Events. This episode, we welcome Colin Palmer, who is the Chief Experience Officer at Vessel Life Science. Colin has been obsessed with growing cannabis since he started growing in his backyard at 15 years old. Since then, he has consulted with many cannabis companies on a variety of areas including genetic selection, lab optimization, product development, branding, and more. Over the past several years, he has worked on bringing that experience to Vessel Life Science. Which has been focused on working with several brands to bring new solventless products to market in 2022. During our conversation, we cover Colin's journey in the cannabis industry starting with his first plants to his current projects, the education and mentorship he received from cannabis cultivation pioneers, how regulations create barriers for legacy growers to participate in the current cannabis industry, How business pressures stifle innovation from commercial cultivators and encourage copycat tactics. Why THC and CBD values alone do a poor job of describing cannabis products. The fact that how and when cannabis is harvested, cured, and dried can influence taste and experience for the user. Why plant pathogens seem to be more prevalent now than ever before. How plant pathogens especially hop latent viroid can destroy a cultivation business, subtle cues that hop latent viroid infected plants can show, and more. Before we get to my conversation with Colin, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, Pheno Express. Fino Express offers low-cost genetic testing services to cultivation facilities. Using QPCR technology, PhenoExpress helps cultivators identify genetic traits such as plant sex, while plants are still in the seedling tray. They can also identify plant pathogens such as hoblaton viroid, lettuce, chlorosis virus, and powdery mildew before plants show obvious signs of infection. Contact PhenoExpress today so they can help you predict, prevent, and eliminate major crop problems before they happen. To learn more about how you can accelerate your pheno hunt with PhenoExpress Go to FinoExpress.com. That's P H E N O X P R E S S.com. Okay, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Colin Palmer. Good afternoon colin thanks for joining us thanks for having me everyone it's a pleasure to be here all right um so i'm really excited to talk with you today because i know you have a lot of experience in a lot of different areas of cannabis cultivation from from breeding to extraction you can even call it from seed to sale and i know in our email exchange before we started recording we identified a couple different topics that we want to cover but i thought before we get into that a good way to get started might be it might be appropriate for you to tell the listeners a bit about yourself how you got started in the in, how you got started in the industry and what you're doing now
1: yeah so thanks for having me um you know the cannabis plant has been uh, a part of my life since i've been a, a young guy meaning a you know uh, you know 15 16 years old i started growing my first plants um, really uh, in an amateur sort of way, being influenced off of uh, books from Mel Frank and things that I was reading. A lot of pop culture kind of influenced me from the Grateful Dead scene to the fish scene, um, and of course, uh, other styles of music like jazz. Um, so, you know, I got really excited about plants um, at a really young age, and cannabis was, um, to me at the time, really the ultimate plant to explore. Um, there was a lot of, uh, it was very apparent very quickly that there was a lot to this particular plant and a lot of um, lot to explore. So, um, you know, whether that be uh, different types of varieties or, you know, just the plant morphology in general was very interesting at the time. And that really, you know, drove me into to looking and reading and, and researching. And it, it, it drove me to places like, you know, laughingmoon.com, which was uh, run by a Canadian group, which, you know, kind of formed into, uh, you know, overgrow.com from the you know British Columbia Growers Association's days. And there was a wealth of knowledge. There were, you know, there are people like Vic High and um, Sub Cool and um, Dave Watson, um, Robert Clark, and, and several other individuals that were posting information that I could quickly grab onto and start to read and start to iterate on my own uh, version of what that was at a young age. Um, and, you know, it, it, I, you know, admittedly, I've been an artist my whole life and um, I started studying corticulture um, in a really serious way as I got into my 20s. Um, I went to school for art and design and science um, and I studied organic chemistry during that time. Um, I went to school in New York and um, had a really big deep dive into that world of um, looking at, um, you know, just, just organic chemistry in a really, um, open minded way. And that's what led me to uh, cannabinoid distraction and really starting to learn about what that was, you know, I I immediately started washing hash in 1999. And that was my first forte into actually extracting any type of cannabinoid from the plant, um, and any type of chemical, you know, so to speak. So it was, you know, those days, it was a hot wash, it was, you know, ice and water, middle of the day, or mixing with a wooden spoon or a spoon. And then you're drying it in these large patties, creating pretty much charis, which is a you know a, a type of hash that's a, a cured resin, um, that's an air-dried resin. And through that time, you know, you started, you know, started noticing the nuances of extraction through that that simple process, but it also got my curiosity into solvent-based extractions. So I started you know, playing with ethanol, and as soon as the other types of extractions came around. I was naturally just interested. But circling that back into where I began and why, um, you know, it was really um, the idea of art and science merging together that really caught my attention to this is that, you know, plants were like art, you, you grow these things and they're immediate, art is very immediate. It's a very immediate um, function that you and reward that you you can, you know, give yourself. And I really enjoyed that simple pleasure of that. So that's where the idea of growing lots of different varieties, um, at a young age, came into play because it was very fascinating to see a California orange next to uh, a skunk or an NL five, you know, sitting next to a strawberry uh, cough or uh, a sour diesel, and you could see the the not only the polymorphic you know differences, but the aromic properties and and the actual you know just the the presence of the of the plant structure itself. Really was immediate in terms of the reward um, that you saw, and then the the exchange of information between, you know, comparing and contrasting those. It was really interesting to me, and it really just drawn me in in, and drew me into the world of just getting into reading everything that Dave Watson had, had, you know, put out, and Skunkman Sam had put out, um, uh, and diving into Robert Clark's uh, literature, and then going even further, you know, going into real, um, you know looking at white papers that i could find um and ultimately becoming friends with uh you know marcus richardson who's a, a dear friend of mine and somewhat of a mentor um at an early age of of, of all this um we were exchanging lots of information and um yeah so it, it just kind of snowballed from there but it was really the intent and the uh the ideology that we could we could learn more about this plant and it was immediate and we could actually react to it um that simple thing actually um through the years you know grew into um what i would consider today uh, an actual business which i didn't really plan for at all um i wasn't you know i, I never really be- i did that i didn't believe i didn't really know where this was all headed um and i knew at some point we would be able to grow these plants in in mass population as we see today um there's you know there's more people growing this plant than there ever has ever in the world so you know with that comes what we see uh of an industry there's the good bad ugly um and um you know the 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 legacy par- farmers and then there's the the new uh you know individuals that are coming into the industry that are now interested because of um you know interests that are that are beyond the plant you know which, quite frankly yeah the plant is a part of it but the driving factor is not the plant um in most cases.
0: Yeah. So you started when you were 15. Yeah. So you must have had um either some understanding parents or some parents who weren't paying much attention. Which was it? Um I had some parents
1: that were understanding and um also cautious at the same time. Yeah. Um you know I, I think you know my my dad um was really encouraging, and he you know he didn't actually believe that I could manage all of it honestly mm-hmm. and when he saw all of it he he kind of chuckled and said, "Well, at least you know what you're good at <laughs> and uh you know you know, I, I was obsessive, you know, like every day after school, straight to the patch, you know, and this is outdoor at the time, you know, the indoor was really um, difficult at the time, you know, a young guy like that, sure. you're not growing, growing under lights like that, so, you know. But um, what I would say is, um, it was a, it was uh, all I thought about, all I could think about um, every day, day in and day out, um, that art and music were the, the the three things for me that were just all encompassing it's all i cared about um and still to this day it's quite frankly it's all i truly care about mm-hmm. um and um you know it's it's interesting you know it, it's um like music um cannabinoids are really um dynamic and uh, and like harmonics you have this moment where things come together and dissipate and that's um that's cannabinoids to me in in a in a nutshell after you've uh, combusted them you know or or you utilize them for um delivery so you know they have this beautiful harmonic frequency that they bring to your body and your body is able to grab onto it through endocannabinoid system which is very individual just again just like how sound travels to your to your 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 nervous systems the rest of your body so with that said you know i would i had an opportunity to build a, a company in uh in in the you know in the state of massachusetts so i spent um know past three four years of my life dedicating my time and um, to bringing all of the things that i've researched um, and consulted on um, because i was a consultant before i went after my my own license and i was working with several different outfits to optimize their workflow um, lab workflow their SKU creation um, you know their branding their go-to-market strategies um, how uh, a product sits in a market and why that said skew should be made. And these are questions and things that need answers to that. um, You'd be surprised not many people have answers to them um, in in the market today. Um, So I think there's a big, big white space right now. Um, And there continues to be um, because the spirit of cannabinoids is still widely under really understudied and uh, underutilized. Um, so yes, we have products, we have, we have things that we grab onto such as tack and, you know, the, the, the ideology of, of terpenes and, and, by volume. Um, but these are widely, uh, understudied and under, underutilized in terms of, um, quantitative and qualitative results, you know? So w- when you look at these things, you know, we, ha- we're, we're at this moment in the industry, there's a really great opportunity for innovation and, um, and uh you know expansion in the terms of of product skews and offering and delivery for the human um we really aren't where most individuals want us you know believe that we are which is really far ahead and we have very sophisticated delivery systems um you know it's 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 going to take some time it's going to take the right minds to come together um yes we have a culture but um we don't study um toxicology in these these environments, we, we study the plant. We study um, the chemicals that grow on the plant to optimize those chemicals to to you know so we can then utilize them for extraction. But there's there's so much more to explore, and um, you know it, it's it's a it is, it's a really exciting time because I, I think everyone um, has an opportunity to really have a voice right now, and the industry really needs um, needs innovation yeah you know we're we're we're, i I feel like we're kind of stuck in a vacuum in a lot of respect
0: yeah no i i think it's interesting you say that that you know maybe the industry is not as far as long as we like to think that it is so where do you where would you like to see it um see it go
1: you know it's, it's a good question um i i'd like to see us go into more um you know real research on on these chemicals and better testing standards for um you know building the right testing procedures to actually tell the a larger and more detailed story right now it seems like we're we're about 5% of of the chemicals we're we're testing for about 5% right now it seems you know based on what what is known that is there on the plant versus what um the test results that we get back from these labs and um that doesn't really give you much insight you know it, it's very top. it's not even top line it's it's just very overview and very general um so i'd love to see a standardization but i also want don't through that through that lens i don't believe we should be hindering labs because they need to be developing new standards along the way yes we need to agree on something but we also need to let them um innovate and and collaborate with uh, policymakers to um, to help them understand the intricacies of, of, you know, testing for these chemicals. Um, You know, I I see, you know, a lot of different states have a lot of different types of mandates for different requirements that they have in their rules and regs. And, you know, if we can't all agree on something um, behind the scenes, I think it's problematic um, state to state. It just it, it really becomes difficult. If you're an operator in florida you have sops that are specific to that state and those mandates you go to uh california are those the same sops and how do you standardize a, a product across markets if you don't have the standardization um you know from a from a testing standpoint yeah so um and i and you know i'd also like it to go into um you know, I just want to add this is that, you know, there's a lot of legacy um, growers that have put um, more work in than they can actually talk about and admit. And the, um, the path that they've walked is a path that has been extremely stressful and dangerous for them and their families and their communities. And I feel that um, sometimes, yes, um, it's hard to run a business and not everyone's fit to run a business, but I think it's hard to swallow when we don't have a path for people to um, create a business um, in uh, a market or a, if you want to call it a state or whatever you want to call it um, for these individuals to live on and to pass those torches on, you know, you're talking about generational growers and, and individuals have kept these varieties that a lot of these big box individuals are coming in and just getting a cut for five, six, six hundred thousand $600,000. And, all of a sudden they have a brand too, and they're growing the same varietals. Mm. Um, And, you know, it's, it's tough to swallow that, that there's, um, you know, there's really no one to help uh, the dying breed of, of community and um, and culture that, that is, you know, legacy cannabis. Um, It's really hard to see. So uh, a good example of that is, is where we're at in California um and i think you know if we can have better policy um better cooperation from you know how things uh, had run from 215 to 64 to where it's going now um i think the conversation could be steered and uh we could have a, a better future for a lot of these individuals that are truly truly here for the plan truly here for um you know the best resin the best uh terpene this that that they can they can grow on the plant and the 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 fullest expression these these specific varietals that they can get so i'd love to see a path for everyone to participate legacy the corporations the you know the niche um you know and and that's what i'd like to see
0: yeah and how much of it is sort of over-regulation creating barriers for some of these, like you said, legacy growers or those who don't have, you know, endless funding to sort of pay for all the necessary licenses or requirements yeah. that the regulators set forth. Like how much of that is the issue with kind of I, gatekeeping these folks? I think it's I think it's a lot of over um,
1: overregulation in terms of the the steps you have to go to get to market and what you have to pay for to get that product in market, um and what the, the the pit stops of of that cost structure, meaning if I pay for testing, if I'm making water hash, let me just use an example. i'm I'm testing the flour. I'm testing the water hash, and I'm testing the rosin, right? That's three touch points of rosin or of, of testing that um, could be, you know half the cost of the overall gram. Mm. Um, and You know if you're not doing large batches the state Mm -hmm. is going to tax you based on that number and the times that you're testing and then it has to go to distribution and they have to do their own right so there's there's um there's too many pit stops and um the cost to do these things amounts to you know just pricing yourself right out you know so i think that that's the biggest problem too and also the cost of uh you know cost per gram now is you know it, it's strong in some states but really weak in others and it's really hard when you know a farmer's been doing this for a really long time and then all of a sudden you know yeah they might be making a pound for 450 and you know but by the time they add up labor and testing costs and everything else they're more like 750 you know and that's a really difficult thing to swallow as a business that is growing and young and you know look i was young once too i i I, uh i learned a lot about business through uh lots of trial and error you know and you know i'm I'm fortunate to have uh, come out the other end really sound and you know better for it but um you know i didn't have catastrophic events happen where, where everything was gone so that's that's what i see just the way it's evolved is there's a lot of pit stops and then you have to deal with distribution, which is kind of its own beast in itself. And, um, you know, these things need to be streamlined. So individuals can get product to market where they're not taxing themselves, literally out of the market.
0: Yeah. All right. I want to switch gears a little bit and start talking about, um, genetics. Cause I know, uh, you've got quite a collection of cultivars, uh, or amassed one over the years uh, including yeah. some rare genetics some land, land race strains um, sort of if you could talk about like what are some of your favorite cuts that you have or that that are out yeah. there and maybe you kind of talk about what we're seeing in the marketplace in terms of different yeah. varieties
1: yeah so th- that's a good question so when I say we're we're in a vacuum I I, I think um, I think I'm really talking about that from not only a product's view pr- perspective, but also a varietal perspective. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we let pop culture drive a lot of our decisions as humans um, around us. And, and I think in the pr- instance that we're in right now, um, you know, there's, there's certain players in the game and certain individuals that are, um, are really pushing their, their point of view in terms of what they believe is, is good. And that's resonating with, everybody you know and and back to the music analogy um you know there's trends that come along you know there's styles of music and there's styles of genetics that are going to come along and we're we're all going to start doing that type of style um to stay current to stay contemporary right and um you know cannabis has just like music has vintage varietals it has classic varietals it has the backbone and the the language of in which we you know, are the building blocks, if if you will, of of it all. You know, that's the your 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 NL fives and your your Skunk One and um, you know your Haze, um, and then moving forward from your Haze, you have your modern Haze, which is the Jack Herrera, which is kind of been, you know, again, that's another varietal that is in a vacuum. You know, it kind of those chirps that terpenolene just kind of took over. Um, Jack Herrera was probably you know if I'm kind of you know making a joke about it he's kind of like the first kind of uh influencer you know that was ben donkers kind of took jack Carrere and utilized him as a as an influencer and, and created the varietal around him right and that was really to curb the uh, sativa to be more commercial to be a 16 12 you know 12 16 week variety it could be um could be actually 11 12 weeks you know so um i think you know genetics today um you know i think we're getting a little not bottlenecked, but, um, you know, I I think just in the commercial sense, we're all growing the same things um, Mm -hmm. and we're all trying to package them differently and they're predominantly the same. And, you know, yeah, this guy may have used more sugars at week seven than the next, but predominantly at scale in a commercial setting, you know, there's, it's all the same stuff. You go on everyone's menu. It's a version of each other. Um, and you know, look that cannabis is, is, it's such a vast, I mean, look at the canopedia; it's such a vast sea of amazing, uh, chemotypes and phenotypes. And I, I wonder, um, yes, I, I understand in commercial that we, we have to stay within certain scheduling, but I, I always wonder, um, why we pigeonhole ourselves to try to try to get things out onto a market to just stay relevant. Um, and you know, listen, I, I'm a true believer. If you're not innovating, you're dying. And, um, if you're just buying and and growing the same cuts, everybody else is, that's not innovating to me, you know? Um, and there's just so much good stuff out there. You know, I have Boulder land race stuff that I was gifted that, you know, I would still consider a hybrid of, of, of sorts, you know, sure it's, it's quote air quotes, uh, land race, but, um. You can see the expressions out of these plants that they're um, they're robust. They have great resin production. Their you know terpene profiles are, are super intense. They're they're a bit more spicy and a, a bit different than you know a lot of these contemporary varietals. But they're very special, very different um, in terms of how they produce and 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 all the things that go along with that. So um, I I would love to see people start to explore um, you know just new new avenues. Um, and yeah, fla- the, the thing that's really interesting to me is like flavors now, this idea of flavors, right, are all being repackaged and represented to us. But I mean, none of, none of this stuff is really new in terms of taste, right? I mean, all these flavors have been here. Um, you know, when GMO came through, it was just like a really great super skunk to me. You know, it just started really producing. <clears throat> it had this really dank, you know, beautiful um, You know chem d feel to it but it was tight a better better you know tighter structure so that's where the girl scout cookie came in on that as an example of a contemporary variety that everyone grows and look most of these things are grown time and time again because it's horticulturally sound to do that it's at, at scale you know it's why people love to hate on blue dream but man if you've ever grown that variety it's it's pretty great to grow. I mean, it, yeah. Do I do I think there's much better things? Yeah. But I, but in that moment, you see why. You're, you're like, oh, yeah. Okay. It's insane. That's a great plant. It's a grower's plant. So um, on the flip side, OG Kush is not really a grower's plant. It's really sparse. It's really lanky. It falls over all the time. It needs lots of support. So, you know, in commercial settings, those plants are hard to grow and mm-hmm. they don't yield much, you know? So um, my point is, is that uh there's a lot to explore um there's a lot of great breeders out there today that we just didn't have before um you know you could really count them on your hands for a while you know it was really that was it and and beyond that was like you know of course you know the common turn a pollen chucker right mm-hmm. um but you know let's face it most of our contemporary and you know varietals that we have seen through the 90s were all bag seed chem, chem 91 chem 4 you know, Cam Juan, you know, sour D, all, all these things were not actually bred by someone intentionally. Um, they were uh people that were good stewards of the plant. So um with that, I you know, I encourage people to explore. Explore the bag seed that you were gonna throw out. Um grow seeds and you know, be a good champion, a good steward of them. Um, I'm not saying you're gonna find the next Cam but I think it's good to um, live in that world of, um, I want to explore and, you know, in the world of discovery.
0: Yeah. No. And it, and it sounds like from what you're saying that sort of all the overhead, all the additional testing, all the licenses is sort of stifling innovation, right? Because you want to grow these plants that are going to yield the most and that are proven, uh, winners in retail too. Like they're going to, they're going to sell. So, right sort of the appetite to really put yourself out there and, and take a risk is not really there
1: yeah and, and especially when you have um you have people to answer to right if you're a co- let's say you're a company that has a set schedule and you only have a set amount of rooms you can only produce a set amount of pounds per month per year you have to stick to the schedule because that's tied to other th- things that are way outside of creativity right mm. th- these are these are hardline things that don't incorporate creativity but I have to, to remind everyone and invite them to say, look, then you need to build creativity into the business plan. Cause if you don't right. have it, then what are you truly doing? You're just, you know, is that, is that, uh, is that what you want? You know? Um, so that's one thing I would, I, you know, I, tr- I truly look at a lot as, um, how people are looking at the world around them and, and the, the, the space that they occupy. And, um, you know, again, it's it's retail is predominantly not all that different than, than one another. Go to another shop; it's just yeah. a different registers yeah. and to the left instead of the right, and right. there might be a touch screen in that corner instead of the the left hand side corner, right? But predominantly, the um, education isn't really there yet, and yeah. we don't have the language quite yet to be educational on uh, a sales floor and to be able to. Talk about a varietal in a way that actually um, does its justice, you know, is is really it's tough, man. Um, but it's uh, it's something that I I really hope that we can get a good handle on in the next you know five to ten years and start to develop language around um, you know the right way to talk about cannabis. It, it's it's really hard, man. It's, as much as we all think we know, we just don't know.
0: Yeah. No, and you're spot on with, you know, the retail experience being, being very similar. I mean, I I can only speak really to here in Massachusetts and I know it might be different in other States, but sure. I mean, you look, you look at the menus and it's all the same stuff. Um, They're only really reporting on THC, CBD content. They right. don't even really talk about the terpenes. And right. it's, it's sort of like, how am I supposed to know if one's better than the other? Um, right. And I mean, and it's all THC dominant too. Like you, you rarely ever see a one-to-one or any other, even just different ratios of CBD to, to THC, let alone uh, terpenes. Yeah. So it, yeah, I agree with you. There's just a huge value. Yeah. There. We we, yeah, we need to be exploring
1: more cannabinoids. Um, I, I to, you know, to your point, to the one-to-one point, I, you know, one-to-one, two-to-one, three-to-one, uh, 20-to-one. Yeah. You know, 40 to one. I mean, listen, there's a lot of um, there's a lot to be explored with how cannabinoids interact with one another and then how that interaction interacts with you. And to you, your point here, um, THCA and TH Delta nine r- r- ruled the game, right? It is is the selling a quantitative selling point for yeah. for bud tenders right now. And I have to say this out loud, that is completely a false sense of reality um, that is not going to tell you anything about what that varietal is going to do for you individually at all. It's going to give you a glimpse into what the testing told you, what, what could possibly be there by mass by weight. Right. Um, and you know, furthermore, it's not telling you how that variety is, was t- taken down or trimmed or cured and, yeah. uh, are the, the trichome heads cloudy or Amber. Um, things like this are 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 widely left out of the conversation. And, you know, harvest date, you know, when was it harvest? Do you buy, do you buy based on expiration date? I mean, when you go into Whole Foods, you buy based on expiration date and uh, the back label, right? And the unfortunate part about cannabis is we can't lead with the back label quite yet. But I think that what we can do is we can look at the chemical properties by volume and generally start to draw these correlations between what your bioassay is telling you, and you can start physically kind of, you know, interacting with this product in a way that tells you the results. So I do think that there's value in the data. I think we need to start looking at it from an educational standpoint and better, build better language around it. So then the bud tenders that we give these amazing products to can actually talk about them and have a person walk away with some some type of substance that allows them to be better educated and better for it.
0: Yeah. No, it's a great point so, you make about, you know, how it was aged or how it was cured. And, you know, I always sort of draw the analogy, whether appropriate or not, to to alcohol, right? Like a lot yeah. of whiskey products are are marketed based on, you know, how they were aged, which type of barrels they were put in. So, I mean, the whole concept shouldn't really be foreign to people that, you know, we could be looking past just data points that come out of the lab, that there, there's more to the end product than
1: that. That's right. And, you know, back to this one-to-one thing, I want to touch on that just one more time, is uh, one of my favorite varieties for um, searching for those types of things is, is the work that Ringo did, Ringo's Gift, and the varieties that have come off of that. Um, Harlequin is another one from um, Wade Laughter. Um House of Harlequin has been a staple, I think, in, in those types of um ratios of cannabinoids and uh the work that he has put in um over the years to to make sure that those varieties are in circulation is 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 really inspiring and stellar work um you know canatonic is another great variety um mm-hmm. so there's 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 quite a few and that's just me you know throwing a few out there but um yeah th- those are some varieties I think would be uh would g- great to explore and there's a lot of possibilities there
0: now, kind of going back to that whole idea of, of drawing the parallels to, to alcohol, um, do you ever see, envision a future where we'll have something that's similar to, like, say, craft beer, where we have more craft cannabis, like these smaller growers who maybe do smaller batches of these more unique varieties? Um, I know it doesn't sound like, given the climate today, that that's really feasible, but, you know, potentially, that would be, I mean, that'd be great, right? Yeah, I think, I think it would be great. Um, you know,
1: boutique cannabis is, um, you know, cannabis is a perishable. Um, I just want to Mm. say, start saying that, uh, had to get that in there. Um, cannabis is a perishable and, you know, there's a point when you do have too much, um, you know, and I think that's something not everyone has the foresight to, to check themselves on. Um, when they start looking at balance sheets and, you know, pounds per month, it starts to, you know, you get in a different mindset. And I I invite everyone to look at this from a more practical standpoint and you know, ask yourself, could we be better for it if we focus on other things rather than more? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look at the industrial age. It's mediocre pro- products for mediocre for a mediocre environment. And um that shouldn't be cannabis. Um, I I don't, you know, sure there's people that want that angle, and you have to kind of ask yourself who you want to be. But, um, yeah, you know, I think that there's a world where craft cannabis um, is what people um, truly want. And I think that's the world that we're going to that will shape up eventually. Um, You know, if we can learn from all the other markets that have developed around us um, and, and, you know, specifically a federal market, you know, going big is not has not really worked out. And um agri- you know, growing an ornamental crop like cannabis um is very difficult at scale. And you have to be, you know, your teams have to be firing off on all cylinders, everybody has to be in great communication, the systems have to be running great. In most all cases, that's not the case. You know, and um that's problematic, I think, for high quality cannabis and, and all of these things that we've been speaking about, which is getting bulbous and capitate sessile and capitate stocked, you know, resin glands to grow in in large amounts and the, the nascent chemicals to grow within them. Um, you know, you have to have, um, you know, you start at 100% and everything you do wrong knocks a point off, right? And it, it's, you know, whether it's environmental in your VPD or PPFD, you know, you, you, don't, you don't know, um, but all of these things together have to be in harmony and the, those, that harmonics has to come together, um, together in a, in a really methodical way to make high quality cannabis at scale happen. Mm. And I don't think the world's seen that yet. I think we've seen some pretty, you know, some pretty great things happen. I think the, the industry is evolving in a really interesting way, but there's a lot of, um, a lot of room there for improvement. And, and, um, I invite everyone to look at, you know, just because you can, should you yeah
0: no that's a good point about you know growing at scale and kind of going back to this whole idea of you know the everyone's growing the same thing and how much of that is that because you know if you were growing all different types of varieties you're going to have to have them in different environments that are sort of best suited for those plants and like that's just that's just not going to work
1: we're not there yet you know in terms of you know genetics um you know look we're, we're super far away from this idea of standardization and maybe there are teams that aren't sharing the information that I don't know about, which is entirely possible. And I always say this, if you're thinking about it, it's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, 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 we have a long way to go to say that these varieties should be grown in these regions at these temperatures. Um, we've just a lot of data to collect and a lot of, uh, breeding to do um to be able to get the the genetics in a place like that um but you know i hope one day we we have some ideology um around that but i don't at, at the same time i want to say this as well is like i don't in this in the pursuit of standardization let's not lose sight of creativity and the fact that f1s and um the idea of of not leaving an f1 is um is exciting now, I think that the industry is pigeonholed itself to not go past F1 because people are just moving on too quick, right? But to standard, you know, stabilize something, to have something that's truly unique and uniform, I think, um, you know, we have, we're a long ways away from that.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I guess another thing that kind of just struck me too is, you know, if... <laughs> You know, until the industry sort of keeps up and they're able to to innovate and and grow these different varieties, I mean, I guess there's always the option to to grow yourself, right? To home grow, and that's a good yeah. way to express or to kind I think of think. Everybody varieties. Everybody should grow at home. Everyone should yeah. have plants at home. I think
1: they, you know, look, growing cannabis is very hard. It's not yeah. an easy yeah. task, and I think it's important for people to understand, um, understand that it's it's a uh, Again, back to music. It's like music. You can grab a guitar from from uh, Guitar Center, but you still have to learn how to play it before you get in front of people. And that's similar here. You, you got to learn and go through it and understand what uh, what spider mites are. Um, well, nowadays, what what PM looks like, you know, and um, what the hop-laden viroid uh, might look like. You know, mm-hmm. these are all things that, um, you know, those are two newer things that we didn't have as prevalent back uh, in the the early 2000s and late 90s, but these are things that you have to go through. I think, um, and sometimes, listen, you can grow some amazing stuff, and you can have your own your own version of what you
0: see around
1: you in pop culture.
0: So, you mentioned PM and hop and viroid kind of being these newer issues on the scene that cultivators have to deal with. Uh I guess I was more familiar with hoplate and viroids, sort of being newer, but it was interested to hear that PM wasn't as much of an issue uh years ago when you were first getting started. Yeah.
1: No, uh, you know, I yeah, honestly, um, you know, those types of diseases um I was not pre, you know, I, I was not aware of, you know, in let's say 99, 2000, 2001. And then that's when I started reading more about powdery mildew and seeing more powdery mildew um, being passed around through cuts or friends that were, you know, saying, Hey, my, my whole grows bombed out, what do we do? And that's where products like green cure came in and, um, you know, sulfur and all these things were being talked about, um, at a, at a time like that. Now, was uh PM a disease that's been identified? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah. for myself and other growers, um, we were not um as as infected by things like that at all. Um, sure you'd see the case of like, you know, mites and stuff, but again, we didn't have russet mites, right? We we didn't have um these super bugs that um took out whole gardens in the matter of, you know, 72 hours. So it's, you know, those types of things were, were really new at the time. And then, you know, fat, you know, of course, we made all kinds of bad mistakes. Everybody used Eagle 20. I mean, gosh, it yeah. was, it was bad. Um, you know, and again, this is all because we didn't have anyone to talk to. There's, yeah. if if we had a bigger Pipeline of communication, everyone could have been better educated at the time. And we just weren't. Yeah. Um, and I think that's highly contributed to that. Um, and then fast forward to today with hoplade viroid, you know, um, we had identified a couple plants that came from a nursery in California that um were hot for HLBP and with hoplane viroid. And, and um, you know, it, it's it's, it's heartbreaking to see things like that because we don't have the right guidance um, that's publicly available and a, a roadmap that doesn't cost you know, 12 months and 15 K to get a varietal clean again. And the best answers I've gotten were call the plant today or you could go into the deep dive, right? So how, you know, as a community, do we start to talk about this and have dialogue on it to help help each other not have this type of viroid wreak havoc on your businesses because cannabis has always been kind of loose right like yeah it's weed we grow plants you know but today it's not loose it's tight it's there's margins there's people that have their whole lives on the line and a viroid like this will wipe out your whole business Mm -hmm. and from growing these plants and studying a hop-laden viroid in confined spaces and having my own bioassay with it, um, as I call it, um, you can see how it performs and adversely could r- totally ruin everything. I mean, the way that the flower structure grows on these plants versus plants that don't have it is night and day. Um, and if you didn't know what you were looking for, you would never know. You right. just say, oh, that's a low yielding yielding plant. That's just the way, That's the way she is. That's not the case. Um, oh, she's, you know, they didn't produce enough terpenes this, this run. Well, no, it's because it's sick. How does a human perform when you're sick, right? How is a plant supposed to perform when they're sick? So those are the things that we have to be really, um, we have to be looking out for not only ourselves, but each other, because, um, one day you're going to want to cut from your buddy. Who's going to be happily giving it to you and you're going to then grow it and start cloning other things with it, not even knowing because it's your buddy and you trust your buddy um, and your buddy's just a nice guy. And he's unbeknownst to him, he's passing, you know, hot blade and viroid to your whole garden. And it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a it's a domino effect of just great intentions with the worst outcome, you know, and, and that's what I see today is, you know, nurseries, they have all the best intentions. You know, we all do. We all have great intentions, but um, if if we're not checking ourselves. And that's why I think, you know, the work that medicinal genomics is doing is super important um, to the future of where agriculture and and horticulture is going for cannabis. Um, Because we need to have the insight to be able to make better decisions that are educated based on um, cleanliness, uh, vigor and fit to perform, you know? And, And if these things aren't done, Um, one day we might find uh, Sour Diesel, Chem 91 and Chem D completely out of our language because the last man standing got got HLV because he uh, took a cut from his buddy.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that is sort of the most, at least in my mind, the most kind of insidious thing about it is that it's so like you said, unless you knew what you were looking for, you wouldn't you wouldn't know you even had it. I mean, things like PM um it's pretty obvious, you know, you have white splotches all over your plant like oh, I got PM, but plant viroids is a lot harder to identify.
1: Yeah, it's impo- it's not impossible, but it's it's um from a visual standpoint there are cues that I've been learning that the plant will give you, like like your stems will just snap like clean, like surgical clean. Bone hmm. snap right in half. Um it's like cucumber almost. It's like a cucumber snap. So you start to pick up on these 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 cues that um, a sick plant a sick plant will give you but um again there's no real literature that will say that it's definitively can be eradicated from the plant quite yet there's there's some <clears throat> and if someone does out there on this on that's a listener on there's no away please reach out and um we'd love I'd love to speak with you on, on to how you're approaching um you know, you know, eradication, um, because, you know, most of the things we see are, you know, therapies and, and different, you know, TC and meristem, um, you know, paths to to do it. However, there's been no definitive evidence that it doesn't come back.
0: <clears throat> yeah. And this is probably a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, I, I read that it's not common for HLVD to be passed through C. So, What about sort of selfing a sick plant and trying to grow from those seeds?
1: Um, you know, I think there's, I think, I think that needs to be studied more. Um, you know, I, I, have I've heard that, you know, 5% of the seed could be infected. Um, you know, I, it's really, who knows? I, I think that's, that's the, the larger, honest answer there. But um, I think that larger populations and studies, larger studies need to be done to better identify what um, is being passed on. And, you know, again, it, it needs a host, right? So how is the seed going to be a host? Um, it, you know, so there, there's a lot to to learn. But uh, I think that, you know, if th- that's a really good point. You know, I, I'm not sure if an S1 would do the trick. Um, but I think it's something that you know, again, we need we need more long term
0: studies. We need some. Uh, we need to really understand it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a lot of work to be done on that front. All right, um, I definitely do want to be mindful of your time, Colin. And thanks so much for taking the time. But before I let you yeah. go, I wanted to give you a chance to plug any website, social media, any way people can get in touch with you or or follow what you're doing.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so you can, wa- you can follow me on vessel life science, uh, on Instagram and, uh, Um, we, uh, are a, we are extractionists we're cultivators and, um, we are building, uh, different SKU offerings and different brands in the marketplace through the country. And I'm really excited to, uh, be working with an in particular company to date that, um, uh, we're doing some really great projects together that will release solventless products in the markets. So, um, you should see some products, uh, next year start to trickle out. And in the meantime, we're, uh, focusing heavily on, uh, genetic R and D, uh, formulation, R and D innovation, uh, and on, on all of those fronts. So, um, you know, if, if people want to reach out to us, please do. And I'd love to collaborate with anyone that's, uh,
0: interested. All right, excellent. And when those products start coming out, we'll have to have you back on again because we didn't even we didn't even touch on solventless extraction, so that will be for another podcast.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, solventless extraction um, it's our it's our that's our number one. So I appreciate it. All
0: right. Well, thanks again for the time, and
1: hope to see you out at CAMED. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: hope you enjoyed my conversation with Colin Palmer. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to our sponsor, Vino Express. Our next episode will drop November 10th. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, please do check out canmedevents.com to view the CanMed 2022 schedule, explore the CanMed archive, listen to previous podcast episodes, and sign up for email alerts. If social media is more your thing, you can stay connected with us on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Speaking of Facebook, check out the CanMed Community Facebook group. It's a great way to connect with fellow attendees and presenters in between events. And one last thing, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Doing so really helps the podcast reach more listeners. Okay, that's it from us. Stay safe. Stay healthy, and please do join us for the next CanMed Coffee Talk. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Michael Levinson. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to our sponsor, the Cannabis Center of Excellence. Our next episode will drop October 27th. That's two weeks from today.